Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we are honored to have you joining us today. The topic that we're going to hit on today is a hot button issue that no question is working its way back into the national conversation, and that is guns. Guns. Uh, There have certainly been far, far too many unspeakable tragedies in recent years and even recent weeks of Americans massacring other Americans. And look, it is all coming from a despicable hatred that has no place in our society. And we all share the same goal to prevent this type of mass gun violence. But unfortunately, in the course of this debate about guns, House Democrats have taken hardline positions and literally have labeled anyone who disagrees with them as someone who does not care at best. And even beyond that, making reference as though we're murderers at worst for defending the Second Amendment. And all too often, the the liberal left, members of the media, Uh, They want to blame literally the presence of guns for acts of violence. And they want to use the tragedy as a push to restrict our fundamental rights to bear arms in this country. And as you and I both know, guns don't kill anyone. It's coming from individuals, and yet their position is the very presence of guns are the problem. And it's a shame. They, They attempt to do something, but uh, and all the while, they are not doing the right thing. Uh, Democrats un- unquestionably have made this debate a partisan show. For example, earlier in the year, they passed H.R. 8. Uh, it came to the House floor uh, earlier this year without, to my memory, without any, if there were any, very, very, very few, virtually zero Republican amendments were made in order And as you would expect, that bill passed along party lines uh, virtually, I think it was 240 to 190. So straight down party lines. And on top of that, it was just horrible policy. It literally would have turned law-abiding Americans into criminals if you were to loan your shotgun, for example, uh, for a buddy to go dove hunting with you. It would make it illegal for a victim of stalking to borrow a gun from a neighbor for personal protection. And beyond all that, it would make the cost of background checks so expensive that the average American would not even be able to afford to buy a gun in the first place. Meanwhile, as we all know, criminals would continue going out, gaining access to firearms, whether it's through theft, whether the black market, on the streets, wherever criminals would have the weapons, law-abiding citizens would not. And instead of working on common sense solutions that can actually help prevent tragedies, uh, things like supporting local law enforcement, uh, things like uh, ensuring laws and protocols are followed, improving our mental health care system, implementing concealed carry reciprocity policies, things like this. There are things that can be done But instead of looking at those type of policies, the Democrats continue to target law-abiding citizens. And they're disregarding existing federal law. I think that's another very important point. 
The reality is there is no gun show loophole, as we hear about so often. Federal law already requires a background check on every commercial gun purchase in this country, no matter where it takes place. Federal law already prohibits so-called straw purchases. That's where someone purchases a gun for someone else. You cannot do that. It's illegal to have those kind of purchases. House Democrats are ignoring the fact that House Republicans have already taken several steps uh, to address these issues, like strengthening the background check system. We have uh, bolstered safety in our school environments through legislation like H.R. 4909, the STOP Act, uh, that it, it stands for Students, Teachers, uh, and Officers Prevention of School Violence Act. We've already passed some of these things. We, we've passed bills to improve the mental health care system. All these bills received widespread bipartisan support in the last Congress, but of course we as Republicans don't get any credit for that because the Democrats don't believe our intentions were good enough. They're the only ones with the right intentions. Uh, listen, I will work with anyone to end gun violence while at the same time protecting and defending law-abiding citizens and our Second Amendment. I reject the false dilemma that it's impossible to do both. Look, I was a pastor for many years, and it's, it's uh, virtually impossible, if not impossible, for me personally to look at all this violence without looking at it through the lens of my faith. I don't believe that you can look at these horrific events without seeing them for what they are. They are symptoms of a much deeper spiritual and moral crisis in America. The frustrating truth is that there is no slam duck policy uh, or any proposal that is going to solve the mass shooting crisis. The, the quick and easy responses that the Democrats come up with, uh, uh, they're, they're all tired policies. They're impractical policies. They're proposals that are thrown around by the media and the left every time there's a mass shooting. Uh, they simply go to work with the same thing. We've got to get rid of assault weapons. We've got to deal with uh, the uh, size of magazines. All these tired and impractical policies that would do absolutely nothing to prevent mass shootings. The most important thing that we should be doing is moving past the talking points and getting down to actually solving the root causes. And that brings us to today's guest who uh, frankly doesn't shrink back from any debate on the Second Amendment or much other uh, issues of great importance. Uh, Ted Budd, Congressman from North Carolina and the 13th District there, a great friend, a great proud member of the Freedom Caucus and an outstanding member of Congress in every way. He actually is a, an owner of a gun store and a gun range, a shooting range, and so he brings a unique perspective to this whole issue of the Second Amendment. And Ted, I'm deeply honored to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Jody. It's great to be here. I've been a longtime listener, I guess, for these, <laughs> these podcasts, and now it's great to be here with you. Thank you. Well, I, I can't think of anyone I'd rather have on here on this issue. You... Uh, really do bring a great perspective on the Second Amendment. Uh, obviously, as a gun store owner, shooting range owner, 
Uh, I, I know that's probably your your primary perspective that you bring to the table, but also broader than that, just in general. So let's let's go to your your store. Let's um, go back a little background on the gun store, how you got involved in that uh, business as a whole, and and just what you offer. Sure. So the name of the store is Pro Shots, and I acquired it out of bankruptcy about nine or ten years ago. Um, it, who would know that somebody a gun store would go bankrupt in the Obama administration? Wow, but yeah. uh, so my first customer, and the reason I found out about it was the police department, a local police department, needed a place to shoot that was in practice that was close to home. They were driving 10, 20, 30 minutes away, excuse me, 30 minutes away, and uh, it was putting a lot of miles on their cars, and they wanted something uh, until they built their own range. So they came to me, and they were my number one customer. Uh, it saved them time, officer time, and wear and tear on their vehicles. Um, and it was actually in a shopping was center. Was that primarily for the shooting range? It was. They, uh-huh. want, they wanted the shooting range, and, that's, and they needed a classroom. So we built out a classroom inside for training. But one of the then lieutenants, uh, he was later promoted, but one of the t- lieutenants said to me, never underestimate the need of the public to have a safe place to shoot. So it was uh-huh. interesting to see that law enforcement was actually pro-Second Amendment. And uh, they encouraged me to just build it out into a uh, into a full retail store with a training center and with a gunsmith. And so that's really four lines of business that we have under one roof. Um, and we actually, you know, hired former teacher, former military, former police to uh, to work in the store. And uh, and we still do a lot of training and, and sales to this day. So the need in the community really came from law enforcement themselves. That was the initiation, and we've got a lot of positive feedback. You know, we've got over 750 members, uh, and plus there's just customers. You know, over 30,000 unique customers that uh, that visit us uh, year in year out, and just a great team. Our motto is helping our community responsibly enjoy firearms, and even before all this these tragedies have come about. We really thought about what are we about? And it's about helping our community and responsibly enjoying firearms. Well, so has that, we has that motto been well received? It, abs- it, it has. I mean, of course, you know, we want to be a, a good workable business and employ people and, and sure. be part of their future. And we, that's, that's really been well received and it, people get it. They're, we're about the community and we're about uh, the Second Amendment, and we're about responsibility. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, I know as a pastor myself, and you talk about the recent tragedies, I don't think any of us can uh, go very far these days in discussing the Second Amendment without someone bringing up the tragedies. And I know just from uh, the perspective of a pastor where I come from uh, that, you know, I look at these tragedies, Ted, and it's much more than a Second Amendment issue. We have a uh, I'm convinced a spiritual problem in this country, and uh, it is not the weapons that create the crimes. It's the individuals who are out there filled with hate or filled with whatever it is that drives them, be it mental illness or whatever it may be. But there are, there are factors that go far, far beyond the instrument used to commit these crimes. And uh, yeah, it's a heart issue to me. Uh, overall, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think you bring up a very good point, Jody. Uh, when I look at this, first of all, um, in the wake of the tragedies, and they are indeed tragedies, uh, and yes, we're going to eventually we're going to get to some policy decisions, but we've got to remember there's people that are hurting. I mean, the, the victims of this, even the families of the perpetrators are, are devastated by what somebody they're close to at one point has done. And so uh, our heart goes out to them. Um, you know, 
you don't ever want to hear somebody say tritely our thoughts and prayers. Uh, when we say it, we mean it. We want to be in prayer for these people, uh, for these families and these communities. Um, I always say this, and it's similar to what you said, Jody, and that is it's not a device problem. It's a people problem. That's right. There, there's no question about that. And, and you know, I, one thing that is of grave concern to me with this whole discussion, and I want us to transition to some of the proposals that are coming out, some of the red flag uh, laws and some of these other things that are being proposed. But at the foundation of this argument, we are dealing with an inalienable right. This is a God-given right that we have and that we recognize as Americans. Uh, and we recognize it in our Constitution that this is God-given for people to have the fundamental right to defend themselves. This is not something that government has granted. It is an inalienable, God-given, recognized uh, reality, and government shall not infringe upon that is really what the Second Amendment says. And yet, when these tragedies occur, the knee-jerk reaction is we have to legislate this thing. Uh, and among some of those proposals, red flag laws. Can you explain to our listeners what a red flag law is uh, and why uh, we need to, in some regard, have our own red flag up against the red flag laws? And when I'm back in the district in August, you know, we're just coming back into this legislative period and more people than I would have expected came up to me and they had their red flags about the red flags, like you just said. These are uh, red flag laws are extreme risk protection orders um, that in theory allows a dangerous individual to have their firearm or firearms taken away. Uh, but in practice, there are a ton of implementation problems. So potentially it's a very good idea that goes uh, awry. I've had uh, deputies come up to me that are also Second Amendment supporters uh, back in the district and said, you know what, we already do this. We don't need any more laws. Uh, just last week, for instance, a, a deputy, he said, I went out and I took his, uh, uh, took a gentleman's firearms away, had to explain what the problem was related to a, uh, the 50B process for you know, suspic suspicion of uh, domestic abuse. And then, uh, so he went through that process. Those laws are already on the books right. when somebody is dangerous. That's important for people to know. These laws are already on the books. And these uh, ERPOs, Extreme Risk Protection Orders, or the red flags, have a tremendous propensity for abuse. One study says about 30% of them are, uh, you know, an ex-lover or an angry neighbor that, uh, that is reporting someone out of vengeance. And so they're... The All way right, so let's play that out. How does how's this work? All right, somebody reports someone out of vengeance or whatever... Play that out. What happens? Oh, I'd really rather not. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it I does. Mean, for, for I know what listeners. you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. But uh, for instance, you know, uh, a couple breaks up, and they're really one of them's really mad at the other. They they call the police, and you go, you know, hey, he or she, they've got a lot of firearms. I think they're a danger to themselves or to me. And once that gets reported, it goes into the system, and then they, without a hearing, this person loses their Second Amendment rights. And uh, you so know, we how, think, how, how is their Second Amendment right taken away? Local law enforcement without a hearing or an ex parte. It depends on the, the legislation because there's lots. It varies somewhat from state to state where these laws are in, in place. I would estimate there's no more than a dozen of federal proposals here in Congress right. for different types of red flag laws, some better than others. But they really tend to take away the due process that a person is due. Uh, for instance, an ex parte hearing means it's you know Latin for meaning that person isn't there. 
So uh, the person whose guns are being taken away is not even at this hearing. Correct. Wow. And you have, it, you have to look at it legislation by legislation, but that is the challenge. And this is a, this is a constitutional right. And this is, you know, to our due process and having a hearing. Um, but not in this case. Um, they often violate that. So the red flag laws uh, have a real constitutionality challenge. Yeah, on multiple fronts, from the due process to just the Second Amendment as a whole. I, I want to emphasize, Ted, what you just said. Even I could, I could feel chills running up my spine, even as you're going through what happens when someone, perhaps even out of vengeance, like you said, just calls the authorities and says, so-and-so might be dangerous. They've got a lot of firearms. And that person does not know that someone has called and reported them, does not know that they have been called dangerous, and does not know that law enforcement is about to knock on their door and take their firearms away. And then many times, as you said, they are not even present when a judge makes a determination uh, and their rights are stripped away and they have no appeal, really. Uh, I guess there's an uh, somewhat of an appeal afterwards but at least through the initial stages, that's an accurate description, what I've just laid out. That's what you said. Yes, it is. But think about any of the other constitutional rights that we have as Americans. Your First Amendment right, when is that taken away temporarily? I mean, there's, there's nothing else that compares with this. It is purely an attack on the Second Amendment. I think some of it is written with good intent. Uh, and look, we all, uh, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, we all see these as, as real tragedies. Um, and we want to get to the solutions, but I think these are, are very dangerous in and of themselves, and they really threaten the core of our Constitution. Uh, in a chilling kind of way. I mean, this is, uh, and I think you bring up a great point that no other, be it a crime or accusation or no other part of our amendments, uh, our Bill of Rights or whatever, is treated like what this one is being proposed. Yes, it is. It's very concerning. So the people are right back home to, uh, to be very concerned about this. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about solutions. The, you've mentioned a couple of times that you believe a lot of this has come with good intentions. Obviously, the intentions would be to get the bad individual before they commit a crime. Uh, we all want that to happen. But punishing law-abiding citizens obviously is not the answer. And setting up a proposal where law-abiding citizens really are they're guilty without any trial is, is really what we're saying here. So what are the solutions? Where do we need to be looking in this debate to find authentic answers? Great question. And I wouldn't say start at the federal level because this is a federal discussion that we're having between you and I. Uh, but when you look at, for instance, the Parkland shooting uh, in Florida, absolute tragedy. But then go back and read the transcript of people reporting on that individual. Um, reporting the individual, saying he, he's on Instagram, he wants to be a professional school shooter. And you can read uh, the FBI on the, the, the 800 number saying, okay, got your information, they're asking questions, but there was no follow-up. And this was one of 40-some incidences where this person is reported. Wow. So we need to make sure that, uh, you know, when you there, there's a bill, um, I think Doug Collins from, from your fine state of Georgia has introduced, the Mass Violence Protection, or excuse me, uh, Mass Violence Prevention Act. Um, I think that creates a fusion center uh, between local law enforcement and the FBI so that when there is something that's reported uh, by a caller, some of that see something, say something, 
when that gets reported at a federal level, it immediately gets fused with local law enforcement and they can act on it. We can't have tragedies like the ones we've had in the recent months or the one we saw last year at Parkland. But I think there are on the ground local solutions like the Mass Violence uh, Prevention Act. And we're working on something ourselves that deals with some of this type of thing. It's amazing to me how many people broadcast their intentions like this before they commit a crime. Uh, and many of them are already convicted felons, be it of domestic violence or something else. Uh, and when you start connecting the dots, when you have someone broadcasting these intentions uh, and someone who is also a convicted felon, law enforcement needs to be able to confront that person, not to arrest them, not to take their firearms, but to confront them straight up. We, we see what you're doing. We know who you are. We're watching you. Uh, that type of conversation, don't you think, would be pretty effective in itself? Absolutely. And I think it's that's really a result of coordinating uh, with law enforcement and clarifying what they can do. And a lot of this goes back to mental illness. These are deeply disturbed people. Um, yes, we can talk about uh, the breakdown in families. We can talk about the problem of addiction. So it leads to these these challenges like we're seeing uh, with these, these mass violence and these mass shootings. But again, a lot of times it's seen before, but they have to have a pathway on the local law enforcement level to be able to deal with these. You know, in the past decades, we've reduced funding over and over for mental care and uh, uh, for actually getting people the care that they need. Uh, if they need to be, um, uh, if they need to be institutionalized, they need to be able to have a place for that. And since the, the 80s and the 90s, a lot of that has dried up. Uh, whether it's state or whether it's federal, but we need to take a very serious look at what can we do to make sure with people that have serious mental challenges uh, can be dealt with. Well, and interesting what we're talking about here with the red flag laws, these people would be uh, severe enough that we would take their guns away, but they would not be uh, admitted to a, a facility. And that came up. I in mean, our, that's, yeah. yeah, that came up in our Freedom Caucus uh, discussion last night. When you, when you look in, you know, our ally in France, when you look at what happened in Paris just a few years ago, 80 people were killed with a moving truck. Right. Uh, this is something that you could, you could rent locally and uh, it drove through a crowd of people. Interesting. It was firearms that stopped that person uh, right. it, it, from killing 80 people or more after that, um, it, which was horrible. But do you want a person that where you take away their right to have a firearm, if they're that unstable, shouldn't there be, uh, aren't they another threat to society? If they're going to threaten someone, a firearm is just a tool. Yeah, it's yeah, just a they device. They will find another way. But we're not dealing with the real problem. Uh, I mean, you want them driving a 4,000-pound car around? You know, that's just a, a more dangerous than a, than a firearm. Absolutely. Ted, bud, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, our time is up, but... An honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jody. Well, folks, listen, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And again, if you would, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And for more uh, about the Freedom Caucus content, be sure to follow us on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus or on Twitter at Freedom Caucus. Until next time, this is Jody Heiss on the Freedom Caucus podcast. As always, an honor to have you on board. We'll see you next time.